Pull out your message notes. If you're watching online, you can join us through the YouVersion app. Uh, at the App Store, look at The Church TX. You can download it and follow along with us. It's amazing to see what God is doing here at the church. You know, my desire is not to just create a good worship experience on Sunday mornings, which I believe we have one of the best worship experiences. I believe our services are on point. I believe people come in and get touched and changed by the power of God. But if it's just about the service, we've missed it. Really, my job is to be a spiritual tour guide. My job is to connect you to the heart of God, to the love of God, and to the life of God, and then to help you move forward in your journey and in your spiritual faith. And that's the goal of me as a pastor. If you're the same person today you were six months ago, I would have to tell you I have failed. My desire and my job, I believe, as your spiritual father, as your spiritual shepherd, is to help us continue to move forward. Now, there's moments where you're going to hit patches and you get a little stagnant and you come to church and then you hear me inspire you, you move forward. But there's a process that we're to follow. There's, there's things that we've got to continue to do in our life so that we don't stay stagnant. And in our church, I don't know if you know it or not, we've had 994 recorded salvations in three years. Three years. Just under 1,000. We got six more and we'll break 1,000. In three years, this is, this is not hands raised. These are cards filled out. People that said, God has touched me. I've had that born again experience. Just in the last six months, in 2016, we've actually had 194 documented salvations in the last six months. Isn't that amazing? We baptized 126 people. And so we're talking today about all things new. If you're one of those people, you've experienced new life in your life. Even if you're not, how is it that God makes all things new in your life? You've got to understand that God has a vision for your life. Some of you might say, well, I don't have much of a vision for, you, for my life. You know, I, I'm living, I'm alive, I go to work, I, I do the things that I need to do, but I don't have much vision for my life. Can I tell you, God has a vision for your life? God has a plan for your life. And uh, his ultimate plan is going to be experienced by all of us when we get to heaven. Thank God we're going to heaven. Can I get an amen? If you're born again, praise God, we're going to spend eternity with him. And it's going to be amazing. And we'll realize his full vision for our life there. However, it's not just in heaven that we're experienced to experience what God wants for us. But let me show you what he says in Revelation 21. This is his vision for us in our life, when we're in heaven and here on earth, he says in verse 4, Revelation 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So he wants to wipe away every place in your life that hurts, every point of pain, every discouragement. He's going to wipe that away from our eyes. God has never, ever intended for us to experience pain. Sin is the reason we experience pain. Someone says, well, what is sin? Sin is when we miss the mark of perfection. That David said we were born in iniquity. In sin, I was conceived. And so from the very beginning of our life, we have missed the mark, which is God's standard of perfection. And because of that, death has come upon us. But in Christ, we can receive his life. Can I get an Amen. Look at what he says, though, and this is Revelation. He's talking about heaven. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain 
God didn't intend for you to experience the pain that you're experiencing. It says, for the old order of things has passed away. That's this life, the old way of doing it. It's all passed away. And then it says, he who was seated, this is Jesus, he who was seated on the throne, first, this is the first thing he's going to say to you. It's the first thing he's going to say to me. I am making everything say that last word together. New. Say it again. New. new. I'm making everything new. It's his vision for us in our lives that God would make all things new. Not just when we get to heaven, but here on earth. And someone said, well, well how do we know it? Because Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to bring heaven to earth. And so it's not just all things new when we get to heaven. He wants us to experience new here on this earth and in this life. He came to give you new life. Everybody say new life. Many of you young people this week, you experienced new life. I love the first girl that got up and just said, I, I had an encounter with Jesus that I'm not the same person. What is that? That's the new life that Jesus came to give us, and he wants us to experience it. And when we put our trust in Christ to save us, when salvation happens, that's exactly what we experience on the inside. It's brand new life. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. So you may look the same on the outside. You may still have the same hair or you may still have the same bald spot. But the truth is, you are brand new on the inside. And I'm looking forward to my heavenly body with a full head of hair. Come on, somebody. I know you got me, Richard. I know. I know some of you guys. But we're new on the inside, that we're not the same anymore. And look at what it says, a new life has begun. So when salvation takes place, when, when we become Christians, we're not just a better version of you. We are a new person. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life. There are no degrees of dead. When you're dead, you're dead. Come on, somebody. Like, there ain't a degree of I'm going to be a better person. No, without Christ, we are dead in our sins. He didn't come to make you a better person. And that's the fallacy of religion. Religion wraps us up and says, if you say enough prayers, if you do enough things, you can be a better person. He didn't come to make you a better person. He came to bring you back to life. And we, when we experience this new life, we understand that it's the Holy Spirit inside of us, that Christ himself is on the inside of us. We're not reformed. We're not rehabilitated. We're not re-educated. We're recreated in Christ Jesus. New creation, new person on the inside. And so when this happens, we have to learn to follow Christ and to embrace this new life. And to do that, you have to be willing to release your garbage to receive his grace. you got to be able to say, I'm going to release the things of the past, and I'm going to walk in his grace. I'm going to give him my pain. I'm going to let go of all the bad habits that I had before I experienced the new life in Christ. You're a new creation. 
So the past has to stay in your past. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, you've got to make a decision to say, the past is in the past. Today is brand new. I am a new person. I may not look like it on the outside, but on the inside, I receive his grace and release my garbage. You have to give him your pain. When we receive the new life in Christ, some of us, listen, you've got pain, hurts, wounds, and they're legitimate. Nobody's minimizing your pain. Some of the pain happened by someone inflicting that on you. Maybe it was a parent that ran away and abandoned you. Maybe it was verbal or physical abuse. Maybe it was through a bully or someone who was mean to you. Though pain is real. Some of you have pain because of the bad decisions you made. It's pain that you've inflicted on yourself. Maybe you decided to go down the path that everyone tried to warn you against, and yet you continued to walk down the path, and now you're experiencing pain in your life because of your bad decisions. You've got to release the pain to receive His grace. Maybe it's your habits, the daily decisions that you have made each and every day. That's, that's really what habits are. It's one choice after another choice after another choice. And you continue to make the same decision. And before long, you're doing it without even thinking about it. And the moment you thought you had it under control, it's now controlling you. But when you're made a new person, the past is the past. The pain is no longer, and the habits can be destroyed because there is new life on the inside of you. Don't let where you've been define where you're going. It's in the past. Don't let it define where you're going. You now have new life. You've got a new destiny. You've got a new charted course that your life is going towards, and don't allow the past to define where you're going. Colossians chapter 2, 6 says this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Everybody say continue. I mean, you got to continue. It's a day in and day out process. You, you don't just arrive. Can I tell you that my life, I didn't just arrive and now I'm good. No, it is continually. I continually have to repent. I continually have to let go of the pain that I experience. I continually have to say goodbye to the past. Some of it is good, but if I rest in the goodness of it, I'll never be inspired to push further and faster and greater. Some of it is bad, and if I don't allow the past to stay in the past, it'll define the decisions that I make in the future. And so we got to realize it is a continually living the life that God calls us to live in him, continually moving forward. So here's the question, how do I live out this new life? Young people, listen to your pastor. How do we live out this new life? See, I, I know what people are saying. I know what others could think. And, and many have thought it the same, that what you received is not going to last, that they're here today. But what about next week and the next week? And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to stop. Some of you who came to the church, God touched your life. It doesn't have to end just because time has transpired. We can say, God, there are things that I can do that continually perpetuate this new life in me. Oh, you're saved. Once you're saved, you're saved. The devil can't steal your salvation, but what he can do is let you live in this life defeated. What he can do is lull you to sleep to where you're just, okay, everything's okay. It's not terrible. It's not great, but I'm making it. It's better than it was. God don't want you to live a better than it was life. He wants you to live a victorious life. He wants you to live a life full of his power and his grace so that you can go into this dark world with the light of his grace. So how do you live this life? How do you live the way God intended us to live? I want to go into Hebrews chapter 10. Let me give you a backdrop of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews 
is the, the writer here is talking about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, which separates the Old Testament and the New Testament, different uh, subjects. The Old Covenant is basically the old way that God dealt with our sin. The, the way God dealt with our sin. See, see, they used to have to kill a spotless lamb every year to pardon the sin of the people. And so they would take a spotless lamb and they would kill it. And the blood of that lamb would cover over the sin of the people. And it was the system God used for atonement in the Old Covenant. Now, the problem with this system was every year that person and his family would go and they would sacrifice the lamb and the, the blood would cover the sin, but it was only for one year. It never permanently removed the sin. It would be like this being our sin, people coming and sacrificing the lamb. It would just cover what was already there. And the Bible even talks about that there was no relinquishing of their guilt, that even though their sin was covered by this spotless lamb, they still lived guilty. Anybody ever felt guilty? It changes the way you live. God doesn't want us to live in guilt. He came to wipe away the sin and to destroy the guilt in our lives. We are not guilty under his sacrifice. And so the new covenant is Jesus Christ, all God, all man. He comes as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the Bible talks away. And his blood, when he dies on the cross, is what atones for our sins for eternity. It doesn't just cover the sin, it removes the sin. Now we are guiltless in the power of Christ. Come on, oh, that'll make you shout. So look at what he says, and I'm going to take just a few points this morning from it, but look at what he says. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. Now notice the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, he gave tablets, and he wrote a whole bunch of rules and regulations on the tablets, and he said, these are your rules that you need to follow. This is what you need to do. Now, that's not what happens in the new covenant after Christ sheds his blood. Look at what happened. It says, I will put my law in their heart, not on these tablets. It, it, I'm not going to tell you how to do right. I'm going to make you right. So it's not this external. He now changes us internally. He says, I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts will be remembered. Everybody say these two words. No more. They're going to be remembered no more. It's not just covering sin. It's removing sin. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Isn't that amazing? That he came and paid the price. It's the new covenant. So a change takes place on the inside of us. How does that change take place? Look, he goes on into verse 19. Therefore, therefore what? If you want the, a life that is changed on the inside, brothers, he says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood, everybody say blood, of Jesus. This is the sacrifice. He says, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now four times he's going to say, let us. And these are the four points I'm going to talk about briefly this morning. He says, number one, let us draw near to God. So here's how we experience life on a daily basis. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Second, let us, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is, everybody say it, faithful. 
The third one, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then lastly, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So how do you live new life? First one is you got to pursue God passionately. you got to pursue God passionately. He says, let us draw near to God. Our new life in Christ causes us to have a hunger for God. So what we have to do is we experience this salvation. We experience this new life. So we've got to respond to that craving. We've got to say, okay, I feel it. I sense it. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to respond and I'm going to draw near to God. Anybody have any cravings in your life? Anybody crave chocolate? Anybody crave muffins? Muffins? I love muffins. Anybody crave Mexican food? Come on, somebody, some tortillas and tamales and all the good stuff. See, see, cravings are good, but do you know if you don't feed the craving, you stop the craving it. That's the beauty of chocolate is really, you know, it, it, sugar, it's, it's a deceitful thing, and I'm learning this. You know, I'm, I'm almost 40 now. I used to get eat anything, but I always say this. If I just could have one bite, how many have ever forked a piece of cake to death? You know what I mean? Like, like you said, hey, I'm not going to eat a whole piece of cake, but I will take a bite. See, you've been there with me. It never ends with one bite. Why? Because when you satisfy the craving, you end up wanting it more and more and more. And here's the problem, I believe, with people who have experienced new life, is they don't go and fulfill the craving of drawing near to God. And so if you don't draw near to God, what happens is that craving begins to leave. If you stop eating chocolate, you're going to stop wanting chocolate. It's true. I've done it. You stop having what they say is a taste for chocolate. So Joanna is my assistant. Wave your hand, Joanna. She's been having, so someone said, Pastor, you're losing weight. That's because she's got me eating salads and fruit. And the truth is, the less I eat chocolate, the less I want chocolate. And then when you taste chocolate, it doesn't even taste as good as it once did. And many of us are not fulfilling the cravings of God. We're not desire, you know, going after the desire that God placed inside of us. And I love Sunday worship services. This is the thing I love about Sunday. Is Sunday is a time where we worship God and we satisfy the craving to worship corporately. We should be doing it every day. But I love it because a lot of people I have found don't do it every day. So what we pray happens is you come in on Sunday and Jeremiah's singing and they got it all together. And you're worshiping and you're like, I feel God. How many feel God when you worship? You're like, man, I'm experiencing God. That craving is being satisfied. And then what happens, you want more of God and more of God and more of God. It's why we design the Sunday service the way we do so that there would be be such a hunger on the inside that when you leave on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you say, I need more. God, I need more. God, I'm going to pursue you more. I'm going to pursue you more. And worship is a key part of that. Worship cannot be overstated or underemphasized. Look at what he says in John 4.23. He says, Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
He knows that worship draws us close to him. There's something in worship that transcends time. It transcends your problems. It transcends how much money you got in the bank. It transcends every aspect of your life. And that worshiping God in that moment, God, you are holy as we were singing. God, I worship you. I magnify you greater than anything that I'm walking through. That that in that moment will change us and magnify God. Isn't it interesting? This is what I find. He's not looking for church attenders. He didn't say, oh, you know, God's searching for church. No, what's he searching for? He, he didn't even say, I'm searching for tithers. So church attendance is awesome. Tithing is awesome. But that's not even what he's looking for. He knows this. If I can find worshipers, all the other stuff take care of itself. It ain't about the stuff on the outside. It's about changing the inside. And that's what worship does is it changes us as we pursue him passionately. I love what Jeremiah says. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. And then look at what he says. It's like hide and seek. Anybody ever play hide and seek with your kids? My kids love to play hide and seek with daddy. You know, I, our house ain't that big. And I'm always kind of like, guys, it's silly. Like I'm under the couch. You can see my bald spot. Like <laughs> there ain't too many places for daddy to hide. I'm a big old boy. But there's something about it where dad goes to hide and the kids come and look for us. And, and the thing that I've learned to do is I don't hide too bad or too hard where they can't find me. No, no, how many of you ever put your toe out? Like you're in the closet and my little girl, my little four or five-year-old, both of my little girls, it's like, oh, daddy, I see a foot. Well, why do I want them to see my foot? Because I want them to catch me. I want him to come and find me. I, I don't want it to be too hard. And I believe that's what God does. He plays hide and seek with us. There's something about it when you're, when you're running to God. It's like he leaves little marks and little indicators. I'm there. I'm, all you got to do is come. And when you do, I promise you're going to find me. I'm there for you. And then what he says, when you seek for me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So the new life is not just transformation, I'm going to heaven. The new life is God, change me on the inside. God, I want to find you on this earth. I don't want to wait to heaven. You can experience God every day, every moment. We can move in this life with new life. Second thing is this, consume his word daily. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is... Our hope. It's not just a good book. This is what we have to see and understand. And I love uh, when people who maybe are not believers, they say, well, I'll go read that book. I've read other books. I'll read the Bible. The greatest thing you could do for someone trying to discover who God really is, is let them read the Bible. Why? Because it wasn't just words that were written by man. Those words were inspired by a living God. That the word in the Bible, it's active. It'll do something on the inside. They don't even know what's happening, but it's God just washing all through the person that's reading his word. I mean, you got to make sure that you're consuming it every single day. Listen, young people, if you don't have a Bible, tell Pastor Brian, we will buy you a Bible. Done. Like, you're going to have a Bible. If you ain't got a Bible, buy every young person a Bible that needs a Bible. Why? Because we've got to consume it every day because there is new life on the inside of you. How many like to eat? <laughs> I love to eat, man. You know, Christians, that's probably one of my biggest hobbies, eating and watching movies. And I can always eat while I'm watching a movie. So it's a big win, right? I mean, I love food. We were at the Olive Garden last night with Jessica celebrating her, <coughs> her 34th birthday. And it was awesome. 
And I love Olive Garden. Where's my AmeriCorps peeps? We were out at Olive Garden and all the, it was fun. We, you, how many love Olive Garden? You got your breadsticks. Can't, can't go to Olive Garden without getting a big bowl of Alfredo sauce. I mean, that's just a big bowl of fat. Like it just, I just feel it, like just hitting these fat rolls. Man, I, lo- I love to eat. I, I, know, I know I'm in the church, but we love to eat. How many love to not eat? How many go without meals? Any, any, anybody missing any? I ain't missed too many meals. In fact, I add a few meals in my days sometimes. You, you know? and, and so if you've ever not eaten, which we do a 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year, and it's amazing, but we've been really, like last year, we really didn't eat. And uh, how many know when you don't eat, you start to lose the life that's in your body? Anybody, anybody missed a meal? You're like, man, I'm feeling a little faint. I get dizzy spells. Why? Because I didn't have my tacos. <laughs> I need to eat. You know, they're, they're, you start to get a little faint. You don't have the energy you need to go do what, what you need to do. And yet we as Christians with new life of God on the inside of us, we will not only go days, but we'll go weeks and months and some even years without consuming the bread of life, the word of God on the inside of us. And then we wonder why life is so hard. We wonder why we don't have the strength to fight the devil. Well, the truth is you're not eating the bread that God wants us to eat, which is his word. There ought to be something about us that we consume the word of God every single day. Psalms 119 says, it says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life. Everybody say life. According to your, everybody say it, word. Life according to your word. So the psalmist is talking about God's life-giving power, and it's found in his word. Some of us don't have life because we're not eating and feasting on the word of God on a daily basis. Right now, Psalm 119, 105, he continues. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it is a light to my path. So here's what happens to most of us. We get this new life inside of us. We are born again. We have this conversion experience. And so the world is dark. The world is hard. And so we're going to heaven. And look, I mean, you can't even see. You don't know if I'm going to fall off. Well, you can because of my bright shirt. But we're saying, God, where are you? How do I go to I don't know what decision to make. Help somebody. Now, now I'm born again, but help me, somebody. Help. And you know what God's saying? You got the light that you need right there. He's saying it's inside of the word. His word is a lamp to my feet. So see, not everybody who who lives in this world has this light, but you're born again. So you have the power of the light of God's word. And so many people choose to walk around in this world in the darkness. And so, yeah, are you going to heaven? You're going to heaven, but your life is just bumping around. You just kind of slip up and slip around and say, God, where is you? Where are you? I'm here to tell you he's found in his word. This is the light that we need to live in this world. And so many people have just been bouncing around in the darkness and not being effective and not living in the power of God. And if I had to tell you the one thing I would say, the reason is, is because we're not consuming his word daily. Amen. Third thing is this. So after we consume his word daily, we've got to serve together faithfully. Got to serve together faithfully. We're better together. Look at what he says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on 
toward love and everybody say good deeds. Good deeds. So you're not called to just be born again and saved and sitting on the sideline. You're called to do something with the power that God has put on the inside of you. And I have to tell you, he never intended for the church to be a bunch of solo people doing their own thing. We were intended to be a body, the bride of Christ, and we were intended to form a team. Life is a team sport. It's why we have what we call the dream team. It's why we come together and we serve together. We give our lives together. The, the team, there were 21 adults and young adults and people that came together to help bring the students over to the Surge Summer Camp. The only way it happened was not because of Pastor Brian and Pastor Zelda alone. It was because Pastor Brian and Pastor Zelda built a team that we're able to help pull this off, get them there, and experience the power of God. There is something about every person finding your place and doing what God called you to do. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in various forms. Serving faithfully. So here's my question. Have you found your place to serve on a team? Have you found your place where you're out there spurring one another on to love and good works? Have you found the place where they depend on you? Is there a place? I think the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church is the place where God wants you to discover what he put on the inside of you. And then for you to facilitate that, to go be a part. Is there anybody depending on you? If the answer is no, then you got to join a team. Why? Because the life of God on the inside of you was meant to be distributed on a team to the world. Some of you, you're going to start setting up and tearing down. Many of you already set up and tear down. We, we have about 50 guys, 50 to 100 people that help set this whole place up. They get here at 6 a.m. and they serve. They have it set up by about 7.30. But because they do that, people can come into this place, your friends, your family, your coworker, your neighbor, those that you're posting on Facebook and they're watching you, they're Facebook stalking you and you don't even know it. They can come in and experience God's love. Why? Because there are people that joined a team to make a difference with their skills. Some of you, you're going to be leading a small group, which launch in just about six to eight weeks. We're not a church with small groups, but a church of small groups. You're going to make a difference by using that gift to gather and to facilitate conversation. Some of you, you need, you're going to be teaching our children. You've got a passion for children. And, and I want to ask you this. Are you using your gift? Are you serving on a team? Can you make a difference in the lives of our young people? Why? Because the life of God is on the inside of you. The children that are here need what God placed on the inside of you. Young people, listen, you ought to be back there serving our children's department, engaging with them. You're not too young to mentor the next generation. You need to be raising them up. It ought to be like this. We're the adults. That's the college and career. Then the college and career got the young people. The youth then have the children. And we're all just tethered together, going on this journey, moving forward. And every person can play a role. Nobody's too old. Nobody's too young. Got to join a team. And then lastly is this. He says, let us not give up meeting together regularly. So we got to connect with others regularly. He says, some people are already in the habit. Why? Because relationships are tough. Why? Because relationships get a little bit messy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you start hanging out with people, you got to deal with people problems. 
People who, who, who are hurting just like you. People who have make, make mistakes just like us. And so sometimes what we've learned is that if I live in my little bubble, if I stay all to myself, nobody can hurt me. Yeah, nobody can hurt you, but nobody can help you either. And so God didn't call us to live in isolated bubbles. He called us to connect with people regularly. Why? Because the life of God is on the inside of you. And the enemy would love to help you not have relationships. The way I look at church is this. You ought to have your best friends sitting right next to you. I'm not telling you can't have friends outside of these four walls. Have friendships, but they shouldn't be your best friends. People that are not of, are in this world, but, but, but they're not of God. They haven't been born again. We, we never want to isolate ourselves from the world, but we can't let them into the intimate places of our heart. Why? Because they're not going in the same direction as us. We've got to get in relationship with people that are walking down the same path of us, people that we can be real with, people we can confess. Let me tell you, if you don't have someone you can tell your deepest, darkest secret to, you're missing it. Forgiveness comes from God. We confess our sins to God, and the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us. But James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So I don't know if you have this revelation. God set the system up that we would depend on one another, that we couldn't live life Without each other. So he says, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to forgive your sins. All you got to do is pray. And, and your forgiveness will happen. You're cleansed. The blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, will not only cover the sin but remove the sin. But here's the key. Here's the key. To live out this life, you're going to need people. And if you'll confess your faults to one another, if you'll be honest with each other, if you'll pray for each other, then what will happen is supernaturally I'm going to heal you. And so this is the tragedy that I've seen pastoring now for many years is this. We have churches full of people who have been forgiven but never healed. So we're wounded healers trying to heal people, but you've never experienced. You can't give what you don't have. You can't help people walk through healing if you yourself have never experienced true healing. And the greatest healing is this, you knowing all the bad things about me and still loving me. You knowing all the hurts and the pains and not judging me, but helping me walk through this life with Christ. When did the church become this place of judgment? Oh, well, they did this. I don't care what they did. I, I, <laughs> I made quite a few mistakes myself. Someone said, you know, Pastor, they're high. Can they walk through the doors? Listen, can I just tell you, and, and, and I don't know if you all know my story. We were partying. February 7th, 12.30 at night. We'd been up for five days partying, partying, like a rock star, just partying. About to go out again for the fifth night in a row. Standing in my bathroom. Phyllis and I, a whole bunch of people at the house. God walked into my house. 
It is the craziest thing. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't seeking God. I had no thought of God in that moment. God walked in. Man, I felt his presence. But I'll tell you this, at that moment I had a choice. Would I respond to his presence or would I run? And I, I walked out and, man, we'd been on all kind of drugs and just hurting. You know, you know, really that's the result of pain. It's the result of pressure. You feel like, God, I can't handle it. You know, I, I was raised in church, so I was running for God. I never forget I walked out. Remember that? We kicked everybody out. Phyllis like, you just kind of messed up a little. <laughs> like, come on, but don't be a buzzkill. And I don't know if it's her. So, you know what I'm talking about. Can we not be so spiritual? Maybe that's why I have a passion for the lost. See, I know what it's like to be lost. Kicked everybody out, threw all the drugs away, threw everything away. And for five hours, had a visitation with God. Never, ever ever been the same ever but what I had to do was I had to say okay God I'm going to be in relationship with people now that will help me move forward in this life I it's so easy to kind of go back and dabble and you know what? All those people that were in my house, I hate to say it, but I had to tell them, listen, I'm going to church. I'm getting my life right. I can't do drugs. Oh, come on, man. Come party with us. No, no, I'm not going to party. Why? Because something happened on the inside. You know that thing we were trying to get from the drugs? I found it. And it's so much better. And the problem that I see is that some of you are trying to live this new life with old friends. You're still trying to hold on to the people that used to pull you back. You say, well, I'm going to help them. No, no. It is so much easier to pull people down than to lift people up. The best help you could be is to live this life victorious. Be free from the drugs. Continue to go to church. Let them see that God is real and that he has set you free. And then they're going to come asking you, hey, can I go to church? Is there a place I can go? And you're going to say, oh, well, in fact, there's a great place. We love you just the way you are. My pastor loves lost people. We love you. Ain't I tell them that, but just say, come on. They don't even know they're lost, but they know they're missing something. And that's what the church is supposed to be, a hospital. There ain't no perfect people in church. I hope we just break that whole paradigm. You gotta be per- I ain't perfect. I yell at my kids sometimes. Anybody ever yell at your kids? Phyllis and I have some passionate conversations sometimes. I mean, I make mistakes. I spend money I shouldn't spend. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I didn't need that last piece of cupcake or something. I don't know. You know, we all make decisions that are bad, that are wrong. That I, we just, but, but, but church ought to be the place where at least we're all going in the same direction. At least we're all moving. Like, like I ain't going to be the same person I was six months ago. I'm getting better every single day. So here's the question. Is anybody depending on you? Oh, when nobody came to visit me in the hospital. When's the last time you visited somebody in the hospital? Oh, they're too big. No, no, they ain't too big. That's why we got small groups. Relationships happen on -on one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four, like 12. Get into a group. So you're going to pursue God passionately. Consume his word daily. Let's serve together faithfully. Let's connect with others regularly. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing.
Lord, I thank you for new life. I mean, even such a privilege to be with the students this week. God, I thank you for what you're doing. Let that fire catch hold in here, in this place. God, if there's areas in our life that have become dormant, that we've compromised, that we've become okay with, help us not to be okay with a compromised life. But let us live this new life to the full. Let us experience your heaven on earth. Father, I thank you for much grace. God, the areas that we have failed, the garbage in our life, let us release it as we receive your grace. Lord, I pray over every person that maybe feels guilty or shameful. or God, that you would just remove the guilt, remove the shame. Help them to experience your life like never before. In Jesus' name.